Uh, we're back from our short hiatus, and uh, please accept our sincerest apology for being gone the last few weeks. We've been balancing out our schedules as we move into this fall. Uh, we do have some great news, though. We will be uh, doing several candidate interviews uh, as we come up to the November election. And uh, let me tell you, we're all very excited about how those are turning out, and uh, we're going to be uh, very stoked to uh, bring them all to you. Uh, also, a uh, big reminder for all of our Oklahoma listeners, and, you know, if you're listening somewhere else, too, um, you've got until mid-October to register to vote in Oklahoma, so please, 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 please do that. Um, we Oklahoma is a lot bluer, you know, than people imagine. Not that I'm supporting straight-across-the-line Democrats, but there are some really good candidates running in Oklahoma, and we hope to uh, turn you on to some of them. And turn you off from maybe uh, people whose last name rhyme with uh, female anatomy parts. Uh, Finally, uh, Puerto Rico, Kevin Stitt. Carl. What? (laughs) How does that rhyme with female anatomy? Tit. Ah, Okay, I was was like, where are you going with this? Oh, my God. I'm... All right. Uh, Finally, uh, Puerto Rico was hit by Hurricane Maria just over a year ago. Um, And as we have seen, Dr. President Brain Genius has declared that only 25 people died in Puerto Rico. Uh, Obviously, this gaslighting attempt isn't going to get much attention from us because every reputable source, and I am insinuating that the president is not a reputable source, uh, has put the number of deceased just short of 3,000 people. Um, We've talked about this several times, and, you know, all I can do is say it again. Uh, This is a really great lesson in how private contracting doesn't work for disaster relief. It's a lesson in how having government agencies hobbled by capitalists, and talking about you, FEMA, uh, aren't capable of responding to disasters uh, uh, quickly and efficiently. Um, it's also a lesson in how colonialism works since Puerto Rico can't govern themselves or, uh, you know, provide this relief for themselves because Washington has to be involved at every stage. And it's a lesson in racism still present in this country since politicians get to decide who gets relief from these natural disasters and who can't. And finally, for Trump's wonderful aspect of this, uh, it's just obviously a lesson in gaslighting. He's just, I mean, obviously lying. I mean, any, I mean, there's stories and stories he, and stories and stories and stories of how what he's saying isn't true. And he continues to say it. And it's just obstruction of justice for those who were killed by the negligence of the government. And that's what this was. I'm just waiting. I'm, I'm like really excited for the time uh, when Trump is going to come out and be like, George W. Bush, terrible, terrible, bad. Disaster relief, terrible. He already does that. People died. Only 1,800. We got 3,000. We did so much better. We got the numbers up. We did great. (laughs) Okay, fair. He he is confused by numbers. Are you sure that wasn't from fucking... Never mind. From Wolf on Wall Street? Because I really didn't. That was a horrible Trump impression. I cannot do Trump for shit. I can't do it. I don't. Many months has come and gone since I wandered from my home In those Oklahoma hills where I was born Many a page of life has turned, many a lesson I have learned. Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong. Way down yonder in the Indian nation, ride my pony on the reservation in those Oklahoma hills where I was born. Now way down yonder in the Indian nation, the cowboy's life is my occupation in those Oklahoma hills where I was born. I'm Adam Burnett, and this week we have Parker Nelson and Carl Roberts on the show, and Parker gets first billing because I like him more. And this is Red Star Over Oklahoma. We are a small political and news podcast broadcasting about left Oklahoma. This week we're going to be discussing um, some things John Bolton said at the uh, at a meeting of the Federalist Society, along with what his policies really mean for the greater world, along with a little uh, you know a little reminiscing. We're 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 going to do a little millennial nostalgia. And uh, think about that time that Lehman Brothers collapsed and we almost, you know, dissolved the entire country. In Oklahoma news, we're going to be discussing the Corporation Commissioner race and the gubernatorial race before finally getting on to a, uh, I'm going to say it so that we have a trigger warning up top, slightly controversial Tulsa Beacon article. (laughs) Yeah, just slightly. 
before just moving. Just a little bit. I mean, if you've heard any episode with a Tulsa Beacon article, I'm pretty sure you can expect what's coming. Uh, yeah. It's still pretty great, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, oh, yeah. not good, not morally good. right, but, like, it's still, like, amazing that in 2018, um... Someone is publishing something that could have been published, like, in 1962, but, um, you know, it's good that we haven't moved on. Before, of course, going to socialist events uh, for the week in Oklahoma. So, let's jump right in. Uh, John Bolton uh, is the national security advisor for um, Mr. Trump's administration, and he uh, gave a speech at the Federalist Society, which is a uh, well, I'm not, not a known lizard collective, and <laughs> okay. is it a lizard collective or is it like where the vampires all get their coffins together? No, the NSA I mean, is where the vampires are. Have you seen a picture definitely. of Michael Aquino? He wears a cape and he has pointy eyebrows. I was about to say, he, he it's definitely a real human a being. As well as you didn't see those gigantic lamps that they had, um, they were definitely lizard, lizard collective. Not, not vampires don't like lamps. No, vampires. That's true. That is are, accurate. Are, 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 are very, 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 very bad. But uh, Mr. Bolton uh, took the time to really speak on uh, two big topics. Uh, one was um, North Korean relations. And the other one was the International Criminal Court. Uh, really briefly, I mean, we talk about Korea a lot, and you know, it's kind of one of those things. Uh, I think in I, I I think you know the uh, more will they won't they drama of this. Um, it's like the the Ross and Rachel of, of international politics. Of international, like yeah, nuclear politics. Kim Jong Un is now the Bachelor, and who will he give a rose to? Well, um, he decided that. Uh, I guess everyone decided that they just can't have Trump in the room when they actually have these conversations. <laughs> so they're just not going to do that anymore. And Kim and Moon are going to meet uh, for a meeting with actual adults present rather than whatever, you know, fish oil salesman uh, Donald Trump has following behind coloring? him. Are huh? They, oh, so are they tired of coloring in American flags? Yes. Incorrectly. I think... I think they're more tired of John Bolton like being in the room and saying, "Hey, hey, can we kill you though? Would you be okay if we murdered you, your family, and half your population, Kim Jong Un? Would that be a fair trade for you?" Well, um, I, I think I, I think, think it, I think, I think, I think it all like that. I don't think it also doesn't help that like his talking point, even at the Federalist Society, but I'm sure also in that room, his like actual talking point is. Uh, there was never a peace treaty signed, so we can go to war with you today if we want to. We just have to Probably, violate the yeah. armistice, and there's no there's no repercussions for violating an armistice. So just say the word, and we'll send the boats. The South Korean Peninsula is full of American troops, and they are ready to go. So I, you know, I, I think that yeah, I think even Moon recognizes the the need to try and have that conversation without um. The, the man with the gun in the room. Um, but Bolton also took this opportunity to speak with a boot deeply inside his mouth about the uh, International Criminal Court. And if you don't know what the uh, International Criminal Court is, it's, it's more commonly referred to as the ICC, which is what I'll call it. But the ICC, uh, it's the premier one-stop shop for prosecuting your uh, war criminals, Nazis, and uh, actual scum that exist on the planet. And Bolton, as actual scum, despises the ICC. Um, yeah, but I mean, Adam, isn't it the thing that doesn't hold any weight unless we care about it as the United States? So, yeah, oh, I, I, yeah, I, I, it, that, that is, like, that's crucial I, that's to what this. I know it, I yeah. I've that here in my cabinet of yeah. things that don't matter because the United States doesn't care about it. So, um, on top of decrying an investigation into U.S. troop actions in Afghanistan, um, Bolton also um, said that the U.S. would let the ICC die on its own. Uh, and I think Carl is going to talk a little bit more about those uh, uh, Afghanistan allegations uh, in a moment. But um, 
I think some of the history, like like Parker, like you're saying, some of the history here is important because like international criminal law is pretty complex. Uh, but under the Bush administration, the U.S. withdrew its signature from the Rome Statute, which is the do- international document that had originally created the ICC, um, and that had been tasked with dealing with the genocide in Rwanda after the International Criminal Military Tribunal of the former Yugoslavia uh, had been disbanded. Basically, prior to that, every time there had been instances of war crimes, they had designated a tribunal specifically for that war and then in the 90s they were like fuck there's a lot of little countries that have war crimes going on um think darfur rwanda uh some of the genocides that happened in south america um and so they were like okay we need to have like an actual body that can like start to generate procedure and like procedural law so that we can actually like prosecute these people and so they started to do that uh, um, and the U.S. withdrew its signature. And, you know, the timing, some have speculated that this had to do with actions committed in Guantanamo Bay, since the U.S. and the CIA under the Bush administration about this time did institute a policy of torture. Uh, Patriot that's a, Act. That's a Patriot fact. Act. It's just a Patriot fact. And Act. you can be upset with me, but go look it up because that was the policy of the CIA and that was what was going on in Guantanamo Bay. The argument has always been from the conservative war hawks that, you know, having a uh, international body that can, you know, subpoena and pull in troops and, and, you know, national sovereign or national citizens that they don't have any uh, national jurisdiction over is on its face, like unjust but that doesn't really make any sense when you're having international wars. You would need an international body to enforce laws since, like, you're dealing with international affairs. So, Especially when you want to do everything that you just you want to do and you're calling it against things like national security and it's like, bruh. But at the just end not of... not being held accountable for things is, you know, the best, the most just. But at the end of the day, uh, the thing that... Uh, the U.S. The position that the U.S. is in is that the ICC, they're not a signatory to the Rome Statute, so they don't get a seat in the ICC, and they don't they, they don't have to cooperate with the ICC. Uh, and the other part of that is is that the UN also has a war crimes tribunal, but uh, as the uh, UN has to refer situations to their war crimes tribunal through the Security Council, and as we all know. The U.S. has a permanent seat, and as a permanent member of the Security Council, they have an automatic veto for uh, any resolutions passed through the Security Council. So, for a war crimes prosecution to go forward, the U.S. would have to not veto it. And if the U.S. says no, there's no moving forward. So... It's just a position where, like, like you know, like you alluded to earlier, Parker, there there is no ability to prosecute U.S. war criminals. I'm gonna let Carl talk about whether or not you know these how 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 truthful these allegations are. But let's say they're a hundred percent truthful. You know, hypothetically, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, that doesn't change the fact that. The UN has to, or the US has to completely cooperate to the point of turning these people over to international tribunals uh, for any, you know, feasible justice to be found. Well, that, I mean, that, that, this is the fundamental problem. And, and, and what he even says it, Bolton even said it, I'm trying to find exactly where it is. Um, he says something about how the court's like, oh, it's it's a bullshit court. It's fake. It's not even – and he even says it's not even effective. Wait, like there's fake gonna... courts now along with fake news? Yes, fake courts. He doesn't say fake courts. <laughs> oh, okay, I thought, I thought he did. My fault. That no, he did say illegitimate. That's true. Yeah, he did say um, illegitimate. I think that was the quote I yeah. pulled. He said ineffective, unaccountable, and indeed outright dangerous. Um, that was a quote. But it's just – the reason, the reason he doesn't want to do this, and before I go into this, I want to make this very clear. This, this is a thing that is bipartisan. This is entirely bipartisan to not respect international law like this. Yo, the, yeah. Both parties don't give a shit. Oh, yeah. So Obama, like, the, the, the Obama didn't put his signature back on it. He could have done that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a totally an executive action. He could have literally just re-signed the statute and we would have been a part of this. It, but it, it's probably, absolutely not going to happen. Probably an important reason why he didn't is because he could have been personally indicted for the drone program. Mm-hmm. 
there's a very real possibility, and he was like, "Oh, I gotta cover my own butt." Well, and before before war criminal, even though I have a Nobel Peace Prize, um, and then something else. <laughs> you bring happened. that as evidence in the court. Uh, sorry, sir. Um, have you seen this? Uh, did, you, did, did you did you? I got a Nobel Peace Prize. Because okay, your, your Obama uh, is so much worse than your Trump. Oh my God. No, my Obama. It's really bad. No, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. Talk about it. God, God, you try and do a nice little bit, and then some people come in here on, on my show. Work on your your show? How, how, how hard is it? Uh, but um, w- w- before you before you continue, one of the things I was going to say um, too is that one of the other big reasons that the ICC that we will not ever resign to the ICC is that the ICC in recent years has taken some action regarding broken treaties in the past, and there is a community of Native American uh, legal scholars who truly believe that that if we ever resign will be one of the major pathways to reparations. For the treaties broken by the U.S. government uh, with American Indians, which would be super dope, um, actually. That, mm-hmm. I would be very into that. But the um, U.S. will never resign, so. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a path true. to prosecution, and the government says no. Just remember that anytime you ever support uh, any part of the executive uh, branch. Yeah, anytime you're like, oh, we have a Democrat now, that's super cool. It's like, no, 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 no. But the. the the specific thing I want to talk about that I'm sure is what they're investigating right now. I just want to I just want to remind everybody of the of the, of the time I got a news flash on my phone uh, that said U.S. is actively doing war crimes literally right now. It was back on uh, the third of October in 2015. Now, as as we all know, the war in Afghanistan has been going on long enough that there were people who weren't born yet when 9/11 happened that are now legally able to serve in the war in Afghanistan. And we were, I don't know, just like shooting some goat herders and that were like 13 and calling them um, Taliban because we didn't actually know who they were. And, and then we accidentally started shooting at a hospital in the city of Kunduz in northern Afghanistan. Now, the reason we know this was a war crime already, right, uh, is because Doctors Without Borders had been using that hospital previously and it shared the location information to the u.s ahead of the attack that was going on because they the u.s was you know knew it was going to like like they knew there was going to be a fight there and they're like hey we're here here's a hospital right wait 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 are you telling me that military organizations didn't care about civilians who were clearly designated as doctors now that doesn't sound like israel or something israel would do i mean the u.s Never. Um, but <laughs> what's, what's also important about this um, is it was it was about an hour and seven minutes of bombardment, right? Um, of a place we knew was already a hospital. Very quickly into the fight, Medi- uh, Doctors Without Borders sent another message to the U.S. military saying, "You are bombing a hospital we are currently working in," and the U.S. continued to shoot. Um, now. Uh, the U.S. says, oh, that was a mistake. We would never intentionally target a protected medical facility, right? You well, just went fully straight admitting, to our voicemail, and we didn't, you know, check yeah, in time. And we were fuck, too, busy, too busy shooting people to, to, to check what was going on. Um, and and it, it was an entire, um, it was an entire, like, U.S. chain of command decision based on a request from Afghan forces who had come under Taliban fire. And Apparently, cockpit recordings from the AC-130 gunship on the day of have the crew saying, are we legally allowed to do this? This seems like it might be a war crime if we shoot at this place. And they were overrode, and they shot at this place. And the reason I bring that up is because when somebody like John Bolton says the International Criminal Court is terrible, you know, it's hurting our sovereignty, this is exactly what that court is supposed to do. Because... I got a notification on my phone saying the U.S. government is committing war crimes actively right now. And and nothing happened. Allegedly. And nothing is going to happen. Not allegedly. That's a war crime. That is a straight-up war crime. There is nothing alleged about that. The U.S. government admits it shot the hospital. We know it shot the hospital, and we know they knew beforehand. That's exactly what a war crime is. That is not something – there's nothing to say allegedly about that. And 
when the when both people both both parties rather say oh you know international institutions are important or they don't say that and they say international institutions are going to hurt them hurt, hurt u.s sovereignty or something this is what they mean they mean that the u.s should be able to bomb hospitals without any punishment that that's what they're referring to and it's just so visceral for me to to, to think about you one, know? Of, one of my big things is because i'm 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 a major student of war history and legal like the the illegal analysis of war and like when you really push these people like their argument is essentially that our oversight is enough our courts our but the, but the thing is is that all of western law and i say western very specifically but all of western law is predicated on the idea of incentives people don't don't do things unless they are incentivized to do them and there's no incentive within the U.S. military to crack down on itself. Matter of fact, they keep yeah. getting more money. Yeah. Well, and also, like, if you look at this, there's this guy, Stephen, Stephen J. Rapp, the former ambassador at large for war crime issues under Obama, and he, said, and he said precisely that. This is coming from the guy whose job it was was to deal with war crimes under Obama. And he says, oh, you don't win ICC cases by threatening judges. You, you prevent the prosecution of Americans, and this is a quote, not by threatening judges, but by showing that we thoroughly investigated and found no cases where the evidence met the burden of proof. Which That's like an argument. Joke. That's almost an argument. No, <laughs> it's not. It's a lot. It's a flat-out lot. Well, yeah. Because, because we all got that notification from the New York Times, from CNN, from BBC, that the U.S. was actively committing a war crime. And then he says, oh, we, well, you don't win cases. You win cases by showing that. And that's the whole reason why we don't trust it, because we just say, no, we didn't commit a war crime. We checked it. We checked it out ourselves, and we issued an apology, and we're sorry that we killed, you know, 42 people, uh, 42 civilians in a hospital that we knew was a hospital beforehand. Yeah. Um, you know, like, th this is the thing. Committing war crimes is a very bipartisan issue in the United States. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they both... They both uh, both parties uh, don't want to be held accountable for the things they do to support uh, Boeing and uh, Blackwater and um, all of your assorted oil industry and uh, gun manufacturers uh, throughout the uh, throughout the land. They don't care whose lines they have to whose lives they have to put on the line to do so. But uh, speaking of people who didn't give a shit about anyone but themselves. Uh, you want to do some reminiscing, Carl? A little nostalgia? Remember yeah, how we all got here? Nostalgia. Oh, definitely not nostalgia. <laughs> I said, well, I got kind of nostalgia. Call um, J.G. Wentworth, 877-CASH-NOW. <laughs> that was saying uh, all throughout my office for some reason on Friday, and I think it's pretty appropriate. See, yeah, kind of is appropriate. I, 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 think, um, I think what is even more appropriate is, is my, my, um, hatred for the Wells Fargo commercials that are like, we are sorry. We didn't mean to lose all your data and your money, but we did. But you should give us a second chance because in 1862, one of our guys might... There's a story we're telling about a banker who might have worked for us. We're not going to provide any citations or proof or anything, but... We're going to say a year so you feel like it's a real story when actually it's an advertisement. <laughs> See, I it's almost the season for um, – what is it? Fucking uh, B.C. Clark's anniversary sale. B.C. Clark's anniversary sale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, thank you, listeners. Sorry, we'll, we'll move on to the actual story. Yeah, the, what I wanted to talk about is just because – I've come across a bunch of articles in the past few days, the last two weeks, um, about the next financial crisis uh, that's going to be happening sometime soon. And the other reason I wanted to talk about this is because uh, yesterday, we're, we're recording this on Saturday the 16th, yesterday, uh, September 15th, uh, was 10 years since Lehman Brothers collapsed. What? what Sunday. Oh, it's Sunday. Oh, yeah. Crap. <laughs> Shit. Uh, yeah, that, okay, that's that, uh, some problem we've been having with uh, getting our schedules right. I don't know days. Um, but it's been 10 years since, since, I mean, it depends on when you market, but it's been 10 years since the financial crisis. And I just kind of wanted to talk about that because I know 
for me, it was kind of a slow burn. But that's what really got me kind of woke, if you will, to, to issues of political economy. Because I, I remember so clearly, like, being in eighth grade. Um, I guess I was in high school then, wasn't I? Yeah, I was in high school then. Um, and, like, I it's... came home from school one day, and I, like, looked at my, you know, I, like, went on my computer, and it was just like, oh, hundreds of banks across the country are closing. The economy is all of a sudden in a tailspin. And I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you all have any memories from that? Do you all remember what that was like? Like the feeling, the like shift that yeah. marked in your life in some way? Yeah, mine was. I mean, mine was. Yeah. Uh, mine, mine, mine was a, a, a bit later. But uh, in my my junior year of high school, I took an American federal government college course for credit, and we had to watch a movie, and it's still on HBO if you've got access to it, uh, and it's called uh, Too Big to Fail. And it was like a basically a dramatization of 2008 and like the as the crisis happened. And it yeah, no, that was that was the moment where like I had been like my mom, like my family's a like Democrats and like not all of them, but like my mom raised me as a Democrat. And like, you know, was relatively like socially liberal and didn't like George Bush. But as after that, I was like, oh, no socialism has like we can't we have to have a state solution like that and that was what my like principal change was is that like we can't like we're we're getting so large now that like not like it's not too big to fail it's so big that if it fails everyone fails and so we've got to got to work together right right not everybody failed. Uh, the people who did it came out fine. Oh, yeah, no, they were fine. Everybody else failed. Yeah. Uh, that, that's an important thing, too. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> Super crucial. Mine, mine was kind of not really – I mean, it, there wasn't really a defining moment for it. It was more over that I was in speech and debate forever, um, and we were uh, – I, I guess it weren't necessarily reading, but um, parroting a lot of authors like Zizek, et cetera, et cetera, all throughout high school. And so I didn't really actually take a very deep dive into that type of literature. I, I used it more as a means to win debate arguments rather than um, actually delving deep into it until about probably my junior year of high school. Um, in which case, our resolution was, hey, the United States federal government should substantially reduce their military and slash or police presence in one of the seven following countries, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, Kuwait. Turkey, South Korea, J- uh, Japan, or what the last one was. But regardless, it was literally the entirety of a discussion of military police presence that, and uh, how a lot of like the capitalism, like the like the anti-capitalist literature was like absolutely insane on that topic, for instance. And it was one of the best years that I did in debate as well. And so, just I, I can't. And I, I know you were in Lincoln Douglas, Carl, but but policy, speech, and debate definitely brings and wokes people. I supported for the entirety of, especially on the national, like the national level, and everywhere here in Oklahoma, it proceeds to opening debate or op- opening children's minds to the possibility of critical thinking, problem solving, et cetera, et cetera, and definitely allowed for my wokenness. It wasn't necessarily tied to the J.P. Morgan stuff, but um, is anti-capitalist nonetheless. See, I find it really interesting that you have that debate connection, and it and it wasn't like directly tied because it was actually for me like pretty heavily tied. We didn't have any like specific stuff about that, you know, because it was mm-hmm. LD instead of. Um, instead I mean, of we constantly CX. had like spending dissents, like, "Oh, you spend so much money, there's a bright line," you know what I mean, where the government can collapse or et cetera, et cetera, those types of things. But it wasn't actually tied to. I mean, we had like a bunch of. Like literature and associated with the Fed, you know what I mean, and it's like with interest rates, yeah. confidence, and those types of things. So we were very familiar with like the inner workings of the economy and a lot of the gauges to which like society is performing well and slash yeah. poorly when it comes to economic standards. But necessarily like, hey, uh, like having having these sort of general depictions of, and especially like the dehumanitive properties of capitalism you know what i mean like like a lot of the really like i i don't want to just say like physical ramifications but actual like reevaluations of, of of how people are perceived and slash or you know just kind of tossed and thrown to the side for a big, big yeah well i mean but for me that's the thing is that we didn't really have that because we were just reading political philosophy for ld because we were like a pretty philosophy heavy team 
right. political and moral philosophy. And then, like, I started reading that stuff, and I, like, had that connection, you know? I mean, of course... You tell good. Happened. You tell good. <laughs> well, no, more like John Locke, stupid. Why can't I use something out of, like, the Communist Manifesto for my debate case? Um, right. um, but, but it was just, like, communism I, I is reading. wrong and immoral? No, my debate coach... Uh, We're holds, still in Oklahoma, Carl. <laughs> holds, holds the opinion that the Communist Manifesto is the best book he's ever read. And he told us that repeatedly, which probably had some effect. But it was like that, on, on the one hand, like doing that in high school and like jumping into that. And then on the other hand, just like watching <clears throat> my dad, who was in like a middle management position before he got, um, before uh, the company he was working for restructured and then was like, oh, I guess we have to keep letting people go until the company collapses. And watch him like, in 2008 and 2009 since he mainly worked from home lay off an insane amount of people and then rehire them when they came out of the depress out of when we came out of the recession except rehiring them without benefits rehiring them not salaried but as contract workers and just with worse working conditions and how like how like i watched all those banks collapse watched basically the entire edifice of our society collapse right and then watch all the bad things about it get intensified and all the things that people like about it just go away, you know? Right. All the things that do people any good go away and no one get held responsible. And that's, I don't know, it was so eye-opening. I think that's an experience for a lot of us. For a lot of people our age that were too young for a rock to really be a big deal for us, you know? But we're old enough for that. Well, and that we, you know, came up in, a, in, a, in, a, in an age where... Um we were so it was it was 911 was so felt in this country especially yeah that's true i mean like i remember watching that happen in school and that affected yeah. a lot of how i saw everything for oh yeah a huge part of my life just because i mean you you know you can't not see an event like that especially not live as a second grader and not have it kind of burn into your eyes well, and that, that was, a, I mean, I think that was a thing for me as well. It was like those two crises that we like had in our childhoods, you know, mm-hmm. was one like the myth that like the cold, the world, you know, the history was over, like die on live television in front of our eyes. And then the other myth that, that liberal, you know, like there is no alternative. It's just like, well, there has to be because this can't work. This genuinely doesn't work. Right, and especially when it's touted as like a just this political tool of dispelling any sorts of criticism. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to yeah. bring up the nine fa- eleven, <laughs> you know, but fucking Family Guy, goddamn it, it was such a great bit with Lois. I don't know in front in front of a whole bunch of motherfuckers, but it, it legitimately was used it like like nine eleven was used like that as just as a political tool forever. I don't think that the Lehman Brothers episode was necessarily as 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 heavily politicized and slash or you know. No, it hasn't been because because the the response to it, and that's the thing. Like reading all these articles that are coming out, like on the ten year anniversary, where it's just a bunch of people basically saying we've done nothing to to that will meaningfully fix it, and it will just happen again. Um, the you know there's there's nothing that we can do about it essentially with the policy environment that we have or with the the, the response that we had to it in the first place. You know, it's it's really sharp, stark because I mean. We didn't do anything to fix 9/11. Afterwards, we made it a lot worse. You oh, know, yeah. but there was like this feeling that like something has to be done, blah blah blah. And even if it was bad, there was like this feeling of like we need to do something. And what that something was was terrible and remains terrible. And and has really fed anti-Islamic, anti-Muslim hatred in this country. But there was something instead of just like no, nah, just just leave it alone and keep doing the same stuff. And let's hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> And it's, it's just, it's no one, I mean, who has tried to politicize it except for Bernie, really, you know? Elizabeth Warren to some extent, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's just been assumed that that's how it works. Yeah. Well, um... Stay I, alive, I, Bernie, please. Yeah. I, I, I will say that um, anyone, anyone listening to this show, um, Too Big to Fail comes incredibly highly recommended from me. Um, I've seen it even recently and it, it has been an awesome, it is an awesome, uh, movie and, uh, I really, I really do, uh, I do really do recommend it very, it comes very highly recommended. All right, gentlemen, are you ready to start Oklahoma news for the week? Yeah. Um, 
we got we got some interesting stuff coming out of the Corporation Commission. Uh-huh. Um, it, and it's an article from the Oklahoma Gazette about uh, Bob Anthony, who is going to be on the November ballot against Ashley Nicole McRae. Uh, Bob Anthony is running for his last term of corporate uh, as a Corporation commis- Commissioner. He's been in there since the 80s. Um, he's been there 30 years right now. <clears throat> and he apparently in 2011 uh, paid an Oklahoma City law firm, the Fidelis Group LLC, $5,000 to conduct uh, an investigation into allegations made against Commissioner Bob Anthony's former aide, Joe Briley. And we're, we're getting this from an Oklahoma Gazette article. Um, apparently, what's been, what had been going on in the office for a while with this uh, uh, Joe Briley guy is that Every single woman in the office was afraid to be alone with him in a room. Uh, he would lock the door whenever he was alone with women in the room and then intimidate them. Um, he would make ho- very homophobic and extremely sexist remarks to people on the regular. And he would do this for an extremely, he was doing this for a very long time. Um, as they describe it, uh, it's, there, it was a more than 50-page report that ranged from harassment and physical intimidation to bigotry in a toxic work environment. Um, now, Bob Anthony is the one who's on the ballot, not Joe Briley. And so you're asking, oh, what, what does this matter? And Joe, Joe Briley is dead, by the way. Yeah, so. Joe, Joe Briley died very recently. I think it said he died in, in August. August. He died last month. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Bob Anthony apparently had him as his lieutenant, right? And... Anthony agreed with Briley that nothing wrong was going on, and apparently Anthony thought that this was all like attempts to smear him by his political opponents. Well, that's kind of how Briley, right, characterized it to him was yes. moreover a, a smear campaign against them politically, as opposed to you know him actually just being a gigantic fucking douche. Yeah, and uh, well, the thing is that it's not just Briley who. Uh, uh, held that opinion. Bob Anthony apparently also holds that opinion very straightforwardly. Like the two of them believe right. that entirely. Um, and th- there are two really important things about that. I think the first thing is that, you know, when you, when you read about this, what you see is that basically the vast majority of women in this office were not even comfortable going on the record with the Oklahoma Gazette because they were afraid of workplace retaliation by Bob Anthony if they came out and said something, which right. is, utterly terrifying. And then the other thing as well is that you read about this and apparently Bob Anthony takes a very active role in intimidating people. There's a quote from somebody um, who said something along the lines of um, he, he does this. Here's the quote. Okay. All Bob Anthony had to do was intimidate you once after he intimidated you once. You didn't, he didn't have to do it again because after that first time you weren't afraid of him anymore you were just afraid of being intimidated again by anyone, which is one of the most toxic things you could say about a boss, about a work environment ever. And that makes it sound like that not only did Bob Anthony think that um, the vast majority of women in, in his office feeling uncomfortable around his lieutenant uh, was wrong, but that Bob Anthony probably supported doing things that are 100% sexual harassment, like locking somebody in a room and telling them they can't leave until they behave a certain way. Right. Mm-hmm. Kind of the, the nail in the coffin for me here is, is this other story about Briley um, told by uh, a, a, an employee who had actually who actually came out and said her name, um, which was uh, uh, this Miss uh, Fendrich. Um, she said that Briley and Anthony used scare, used scare ta- tactics against her. And um, then when she was diagnosed with bladder cancer. Um, her supervisor, which was somebody other than Briley and Anthony, said she could work from home. And apparently, uh, Mr. Briley called her repeatedly and asked when she was going back to work. And on the day she got diagnosed with cancer, told her to come back to the office, like after going to the doctors and getting the cancer diagnosis. Which is one of the most, like, this is such a, a damning description of, of how Bob Anthony behaves, of, of who Bob Anthony is, and what he's been doing at the Corporation Commission. And I, I want to say that because already going into this, um, 
hopefully we'll get to interview her. We'll see. Um, but Ashley Nicole McRae is, is, is a really cool candidate. Um, I like her a lot. I think she's really great. Um, and, and, and so you have right now this, this old man who is using sexual harassment to keep the office place he wanted against, you know, a young, uh, absentee Shawnee woman who's like running on, we should not just use a corporation commission to help oil companies make money. And, and, and it's just, it's, it's this shocking kind of story that, that comes out before an election and should really end it. And so I want, I want everybody who, who listens to this to talk to everybody about voting in this election and to, to do what you can to get this, this guy who, who, who uses sexual harassment in a government office place to get what he wants, to get him out of office. This is harasses disgusting. cancer victims. Yeah, like. harasses can- cancer victims. If that's not something that should put a nail in somebody's, uh, not just political career, but entire career. Like, like, I don't think anybody should be homeless, but somebody who is harassing cancer victims on the day they get a diagnosis should get thrown in a goddamn lake. That is disgusting Just for a nice behavior. swim, though, right? No, they should not be able to swim. What, you, you concrete, concrete flippers? Yeah. Yeah. Get him a nice... Now, that's a threat, Carl. Are you sure you want to make that, or are you going to say Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. <laughs> it's not a threat. It's an irony show, Adam. We already have, have d- determined we're doing the Alex Jones defense. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. For wait. sure. Alex Jones defense? Can, can we reiterate? Yeah, no, we're character uh, actors. Like That's not, all a oh. bit. Yeah, no, I'm a character a actor on this show for all intents and purposes. Uh, yeah, right. that way when we go to family court, we can keep our kids. Yep. Right. I, on this show, I'm... Scare quotes, Adam Burnett. Not it's it's like the difference between Stephen Colbert and Stephen Colbert. Outside of here, I'm Adam Burnett, but on the show, I'm Adam Burnett. See? Got you, got you. (laughs) The real world's your Adam Burnett. (laughs) 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 You guys want to move on to the next Oklahoma story? So, uh, moving into our gubernatorial candidate race, yay, yay, yay! <laughs> it's it's a uh, Nyquil Uncle Drew Edmondson versus anti-lax business tyrant Kevin Stitt. <laughs> so, uh, Republican Tulsa businessman Kevin Stitt, um, who's basically nobody's ever heard of him before, unfortunately, thank God, um, leads former Democrat Attorney General uh, Drew Edmondson by only two points. Um, the Libertarian candidates are kind of just a afterthought at this point taking up less than four points less than four percent of the vote um and only uh six percent were like undecided so this is kind of a brand new never before seen um accompaniment in in oklahoma politics because most most of the time uh either either side especially the republican side has to pull more of the conservative democrats in to win the gubernatorial candidate race right this is one of the only times in history where we've ever seen the most of the major, large majority of Republicans voting for the Republican candidate, and a large majority of Democrats voting for the Democratic candidate, and this obviously can't be a hundred percent validated until post-election, where we can see, um, uh, where we can sort of see these types of numbers come into play. But um, anyway, uh, like uh, talk, uh, it, the polls stand at, um, which I thought was pretty great. The actual question he says uh, if the November general election for government was today and you were in standing in the voting booth right now for whom would you vote uh, it says Kevin Stitt the Republican Drew Edmondson the Democrat Chris Powell the Libertarian or undecided not sure and so that goes Kevin Stitt's up by two points in the poll 46.6% in Edmondson's um, at 40, 44.2% so um, then I mentioned earlier uh, I mean basically Republicans um, like I said, running for statewide office had relied on a portion of the Democrats to win, but um, because well, well, the last 10 it, years we've kind of eclipsed, Republicans have eclipsed Democrats in terms of the uh, number of, or I guess the the number of um, voter registration, right, wise, statewide. Yeah, that, that's that's been like a really recent change uh, yeah. that has happened, because even, even back whenever I interned at the Tulsa County Democratic Party when I was in high school, Democrats were, still had um the more registered voters are republicans i think it's been it's been four years or less that that's switched now so that's how it's always gone it's Um, been a a red surge we were talking about the blue wave but it really a red tide indeed Uh, but like we said i i Edmondson sort of currently has a uh, a plus one percent party crossover advantage in the poll, which is like uh, he's got he's pulled sixteen percent of the Republicans towards more of the 
they're, they're sort of split on just one general phrase, which is um, Stitt is like, Oklahoma's great right now, and Edmondson's like, no, it ain't. And so that's kind of where that's sort of shaping this sort of battleground race. Those of, are hot fucking you, takes. I'll tell you what. Right. Rarely I mean, do I hear takes that are that like straight up and down spice tastic. Um, right. And pretty, pretty hot, honestly. <laughs> it's it's pretty phenomenal. And I mean, I, I've got some stats here for y'all on uh, who supports which candidate, and you might be surprised at a couple of them. Although you probably won't be. Um, I've so, never been but, surprised um, of anything. Basically, like, huh? I've never been surprised <laughs> by anything. So Edmondson uh, leads heavily among self-identified moderate voters of about seventy percent to twenty percent for Stitt. So moderates are <laughs> holy <running>. shit. <laughs> uh, moderates are a one in three voters on election day, and forty-nine percent margin was the largest of any statewide matchup. Um, and so Stitt also leads with the voters of Oklahoma's who who believe, like I said, Oklahoma's going in the right direction, where Edmondson leads those going in the wrong direction, as well as uh, the majority, which might lend more credence to Edmondson because Oklahoma because the voters who believe Oklahoma is going in the wrong direction are upwards of 50% of the poll samples. So if we're talking about what? within the what? 4% error margin of the poll of being of, of, of Edmondson being down by two points, um, he does have a 6% leg up in those types of individuals. Um, Stitt also <laughs> leads among those who attend church weekly or more. Who would have thought? Um, yeah, what what a surprise. <laughs> leads among self-identified evangelicals, 63 to 30%. Um, evangelicals that attend church weekly or more are also 55% of the likely voter electorate. So that might level out the sort of advantage we were talking about earlier. But Stitt and MSM were tied among men voters with 43% each, but women slightly favored Stitt, and I can't really figure out why. I spent a little bit of time... Uh, he's a fucking snack. That's why. You check he's... him out. I'm trying to figure out what is snack like about him because it it is his photo that is the gigantic blown up one on the SoonerPoll.com article we use for this, and he doesn't have a very impressive jawline. Um, he he's got them bird lips. You know, <laughs> he does have bird lips. Holy shit! He looks like a guy who knocks the salt off of a regular Lay's potato chip. <laughs> that too spicy. He gets light mayo because the regular mayo is a little, it's a, it's a little fresh for him. See, he, he, it looks like he hasn't unclenched his asshole in at least 10 years. Allegedly. Allegedly, actually, yes. So, um, But Stitt also leads among Tulsa voters in the area which he's from. Hey, that's, that's yours, Carl. And uh, both candidates are split among rural voters with 45% each. Um, the Oklahoma City, however, is basically uh, Edmondson's leading only by four points, which we definitely need to get out and make that uh, make that a larger margin. So, should be a fun race. Yeah. It is. And not uh, me. Not me. I pulled up. I pulled up some some. I, I, I pulled up some Google image search of Kevin Stitt. It's the eyebrows. It's the fucking. Is it? This guy has. This guy has eyebrows for days. These eyebrow. You could land a Boeing seven forty seven on his his eyebrows. He would let the government pay Boeing $7 million to land a plane on his eyebrows. Yes. Indeed he would. I'm still... I I think that might be his whole political platform. No, his whole political platform is, what if we keep doing it? (laughs) What if if we just don't look around anymore? We just keep walking forward. Yeah, I mean, comparatively, if we're more Paths don't have moral value. If we just walk the path that we're on, there isn't any reason to question its morality. Yeah, I know. Mm. We're joking about snack, snackitude, or whatever you want to call it, like like snack, snackness, um, in terms of uh, Senate or like a like gubernatorial race. But my grandmother actually, and it is a well known fact among my family, that my mother's mother did vote exclusively on who she found more attractive. God damn it. For what? For anything. For any, any okay. For especially like she, especially presidential races. I mean, she was not tied to Republican or um, Democratic, but she was tied, to, which, which kind of could be a benefit if the Democrats could put up somebody who, I mean, she definitely didn't vote for Hillary Clinton for obvious reasons because she's uh, from small town Oklahoma. Yeah, but Bill Clinton uh, was a snack. 
He was a snack, and he did vote for Bill Clinton. Barack Obama was also a snack. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. You you think a nice, small-town, white Oklahoma lady is going to be attracted to a good-looking black man and admit it on polling? Yeah, you're out of your mind. Oh, 100%. No, that, that, like, deep racial, like, connection to, like, sexuality that's, like, really kind of gross and, like, not healthy, that's real. That's there. Oh, I believe, but it's not true. She she cares more about social status than she does about uh, doing that. In that honestly, sort of instance. Honestly, though, maybe the snackitude with Stitt is that Drew Edmondson is a NyQuil uncle. <laughs> he is a NyQuil uncle. Like, he's just, he's kind of sleepy. Like, Drew I don't Ed- really have that. Definitely, you'll always be on top for Drew Edmondson, which is unfortunate. Um, like. Whereas Kevin Stitt looks like, at the very least, he'll take you into missionary. Okay. Okay. Well, with that discussion of um, uh, people's sex lives that I don't want want to to talk about anymore. We're not done. I want to say one thing actually important. Um, One of the the big deals that this stuff has is that um, with with how they modeled it, uh, Sooner Poll is saying like very openly that um, uh, Edmondson would be ahead with Democratic turnout being higher. Uh, than what they're modeling and that that's a very real possibility and that if you like mess with the data to match that up uh, then Edmondson is leading um, so like I <laughs> I don't like you know it, it, it's important that we fight for this and it's important that we keep the, the guy who literally doesn't believe in vaccines out of governmental office somehow I think I think that means something you know what I mean I'm not I'm not going to endorse anybody but I think that's important I'm going to endorse somebody in our next section, actually, I think. We'll see about that, though. Well. I definitely will as well. Like I said, I don't endorse candidates. I'm apolitical. Because political, you know, I'm just not interested in the political process. It really doesn't have much effect on uh, my life. You're, so. you're, just po- you're just a political? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, I'm One I'm, politic? I'm one politic. Speaking of single, uh, isolated politics, <laughs> let's talk about the Tulsa Beacon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, should I take it? Yes. I can't read this one out loud. Actually, I don't want my voice to be attached to it because it's like patently offensive. This, this is like, this might be pretty close to their like, we're like, this is almost as bad as their we're allowed to say the N word uh, article. Um, which, this is worse. Yeah, no, this is definitely worse. This is definitely worse. To preface this really quickly. Um, uh, this is what I was going to talk about before the sh- at the beginning of the show, and it's that um, I have a multiple friends of mine who are leftists and who are involved in um, the news in Tulsa in some way, shape, or form. Right? Either they're a director of a particular news station, or they're a producer, or they actually do some type of journalistic writing. And I sent three people this. Asking them, hey, have you ever heard about the Tulsa Beacon before? And and they were like, no, I never have. And I was like, well, they're directly implicating you as being a part of the gay news conspiracy. (laughs) The homosexual agenda. Literally the homosexual agenda. Liberal mainstream media. You're... (laughs) Sorry, to go back really quickly, Stephen said, no, I don't have Adam's legal expertise. I would, I would, I would say Stephen is probably a power bottom. <laughs> Stitt's probably a power bottom. <laughs> okay, I'm just sorry. That's why. That's why he's such a snack, though. You know. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, last week on the show, but that is his oh, one touch for this for today um but yes yes i they they all kind of died laughing at, at that sort of uh at that at that um that allocation but i i totally now believe after reading this whole speaking article in control of the news well let's let's get to reading it huh um the title kind of says it all it's published september 6th of of the year of our lord 2018 um it's an editorial and the title is just Homosexual Judicial Candidate. <laughs> so, you know, we're in for a good one. Um, you didn't say it correctly, and I'm only going to say it this way once, but we, this sexual. is, yeah, the, the boy, homosexual, is how you say that, Carl. Judicial. No, 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 Judicial. no. No, you say all those words fine. It's the word that you can't use a no, pejorative for anymore. 
You have to say it with the pejorative phrasing, just not with the pejorative. You have to laden it with that very disgust, (laughs) disapproval. Mm -hmm. The reason you say, like, homosexual is because you've got this put-on country accent that you did not grow up with, but that you affect because you live in a suburb and you're actually not rural at all, but you want to appear to be, even though you work as a lawyer. Read the article. Come on. He He could put on his best. Uh, what, to kill a mockingbird, whatever the fuck that guy's name is. Never mind. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll start. Christopher Ulrich Brecht Smith, uh, who is married to another man, wants to be the first homosexual district court judge in Tulsa County. Who is married to another the- man? Like that was like, <laughs> like, like that really solidifies it. Like he could be gay and just you know be walking around. But he's actually married. No, he's married. He's a committed gay. He's not. He's not half-assing it. Is that? Oh, uh, okay turn of phrasing. I don't. Now, you know what? That's payback for me saying okay. tribal a couple weeks ago inappropriately. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 That's true. Okay. Um, continuing, he will be on the ballot November sixth, running against Judge Linda Morrissey, an experienced moral and fair judge. Moral. Hey, wait, wait, There's wait, triple wait, parentheses wait, wait, around moral. Evaluate. Moral and fair because yes. she's not a gay relationship. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, we don't need evidence. We know who's not who's immoral and unfair because it's not fair that they get to live the life they want and the writer of this article can't live their life the way they want to. <laughs> well, okay, but they're going more about the conspiracy yeah. violence. We need that. In exactly that sense that you were just saying, Adam. This is America, and anyone can run for office. The real issue here is a quote-unquote conspiracy of silence concerning Breck Smith's sexual orientation and marital status. Um, Brief insert, I went to Chris Breck's uh, uh, webpage, (laughs) electbreck.com. It says this in the third paragraph of his bio where he talks about his life. Um, I live adjacent to downtown Tulsa with my husband, Michael Franklin Smith, who practices at McAfee and Taft. I don't know what conspiracy of silence exists when the guy says no, no, on no, his no, website, I have a Carl, husband. Um, Carl, I, they're I, not, I'm homosexual. They're not bringing it up over the airwaves, okay? They need to be it's like – It's not the only hey, thing anyone is ever somebody, saying about him. It doesn't matter that he said it. It matters that the news stations aren't running it as their fucking headline. Oh, right, that oh there is somebody. You're a step ahead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, let's keep going. Um, except for one part of his Facebook page and a few pictures with his quote-unquote husband, uh, the average... Oh, quote husband. Fuck this No, he's a real husband. It's, it's the law. He's, they're married. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Um, the average Tulsa County voter probably has no idea of the moral character of this homosexual advocate. I don't know how he's a homosexual advocate. Like... He's not running to be like the the gay person. He's running to be a judge. Like that's that's not. <laughs> I don't. I don't. What is a homosexual advocate? Like is that Oklahomans for equality? I don't. I don't know. Like I guess that is. That's a good thing. I but it just doesn't that. matter. He's running to be a judge. You like that's not like what cases is he? Is he gonna get like a murder case and it's gonna be a gay dude and he's gonna be like not guilty because that's how juries work. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to tell the jury you can't convict. He's gay. Um, He's going to let gay people just embezzle all the state's money. What what does he think is going to... I mean... We're we're, we're just guising this all... We're talking about good business decisions and Lehman Brothers, you know? So, I don't... don't, Can we we take a second to evaluate that? No. (laughs) No. All right, keep going. Um, That's how they want it. They. It's just common sense. That if the average Tulsa voter knew about this secret, secret, they would overwhelmingly vote for Judge Morrissey, a devout Christian with a normal, normal. marriage. Yeah, normal. normal. No, a gay marriage is also – fuck you. It's a normal marriage. Also, no, they wouldn't. The average Tulsa voter would be like, uh, I don't give a shit. I don't vote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Ugh. Um, this is the spice. Here comes the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is already pretty fucking good. Uh, but, but here comes, here yeah, comes the, it's, it's the bad, but it's good how bad it is. Jeez. Um, this is like something that you would find on some website in like t- t- 2010, and you'd be like, I have no idea if this is sarcastic or not. Like, I just do not know if this is ironic. Except with the Tulsa Beacon, we know. 
We know they mean it. Yeah, um, they actually do. So they, they continue. The liberal news media, including the Tulsa World and the top four TV stations, won't breathe a word of Breck Smith's lifestyle because they want him to sneak into office. As a judge on November 6th, in Tulsa, yeah. which really yeah. affects also, how the newspapers run. It's going to be, guys, let me tell you, as someone who's got a journalism degree, who the judges are is a major player in how the top four TV stations in Tulsa are run. That affects them every single day. The no, real reason the top, not four, true at the all. top four TV stations, Psychos. They, they care so much about judges that no matter if he gets elected or not, they're just going to run a bunch of videos of old ladies being vaguely racist. And people <laughs> like some retired sheriff in Maple Ridge been like, I'm going to shoot the first color that comes over back my fence from Gavin. Have you seen That's Channel 6 recently? Channel 6 is like, here's the weather. Would you guys like to talk about football? We have cats. Nine people died today. It's yeah. it's not it's not like the, like no, even like, if I'm cry. sure sure like we I think we have a leg to stand on to be like uh yeah they're not having a political discourse about the proletariat and the dis, the, the difference between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat but that's not what they're doing at all they're like today Ranger Steve brought us raccoons and these baby raccoons are only four pounds and they will live to be three years old before <laughs> they are released into the wild that's what they go watch any local news that's what it is it's not. <laughs> It's not like secret conspiracies to elect judges. It's just not. <laughs> well, the other local news is like whichever Sinclair fucking channel is on here has some guy go up there and be like, gay judges, are they ruining America? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Goddamn right they are. <laughs> um, but that's, that's this, because it's already bad enough, but they just keep piling on. Oh, um, the, it gets worse at the end. If he wins on November 6th, these media outlets with trumpet his victory and run stories about how progressive Tulsa really is. And the uh. national media will shout about how they are successfully changing the archaic Christian morality of Oklahoma. There's a lot to unpack there. I want to unpack. I want to, I want to, I want to start and they then I'll let everyone else. World. Nope. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. My first point, just spelling errors. Spelling and grammar yeah. errors. There's misplaced commas. He says with, with, and just it's Instead the wrong will. word. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to stick with those critiques from my perspective because I think that would actually upset the author if he heard me say that, hey man, your grammar and your spelling is awful because you're a dumb dumb and you don't know how to write. Maybe you should think that your ideas are also dumb. Feel bad about it. <laughs> that's that's important. You just can't write. Um, what's another thing? Uh, what's another thing that's wrong here? Um, none of them will do that. Literally, none of the news media organizations. Maybe Rich Fisher will or, or like interview him for Studio Tulsa and be like, "Oh, being a gay judge, uh, NPR, let's drink a latte together." Maybe that would be the one thing I could see actually happening relating to that. But this person doesn't even talk about NPR, which is the only liberal news media by any stretch of the imagination in Tulsa. Um, and, and then, and then this one and the, the one about the archaic Christian morality of Oklahoma, you know what all the socialists in Oklahoma were, they were Christians. They were serious, deep Christians. They were really into Jesus. Um, they did tent revival socialist meetings with Jesus uh, preachers were an important part of getting the socialist word out around. So I want to bring back that archaic Christian morality. I want to get that one back. Not this fucking go to like lifechurch.tv slash um, no porn uh, church. Oh, like no life church you. over there for bro. Like because uh, it's a big like it's a big box store except the church version, and that's kind of like the most like capitalist <laughs> thing I can think of. Um, oh, I know my my parents go. That's why I was joking about it. <laughs> Ooh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, okay. let's keep going um, this is exactly what happened when Allison Eichley Freeman kept quiet about her marriage to another woman during last year's special election for the state senate the strategy is to hide that information from the voting public to minimize negative votes and it works whoa 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 can we can, are there <laughs> such a thing as negative votes yes <laughs> can we yeah <laughs> What? A negative vote is every time an illegal votes for a candidate, according to the shit. Speakers. Okay, so we have to keep they have to keep the word away from the illegals. Damn, all right, I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's really blowing my mind here. I Actually, I, I, a I thought I knew how elections worked. A negative vote is when I volunteer at the voting commission and tell all the old people that they already voted and they can go to Luby's now. Hmm. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but that, this is again a thing where it's like, um, um, it's just not it's not real. Allison Ikey Freeman was open about being uh, being gay, like that was a thing. You know, she didn't campaign on I'm gay, sure, but she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I have a wife. I'm I'm lesbian. I am a candidate. Yeah, I was like, look, I have a marriage just like every single, you know, basically every single other person. You know, it's like I'm just a normal person. Um, so stupid. Um, let's keep reading. You could get the truth in the Tulsa Beacon. No judge should enter that office with an agenda, and Breck Smith has one. Tear down traditional morality and denigrate Christian ethics. Christians and conservatives should write letters to the editor to the Tulsa World about this and should tell the friends in their churches and people at work and in their neighborhoods. If the truth, <laughs> which is just like, what? <laughs> he's a judge. That's, you don't, he's not no, running a, that's to be how a you legislator. Do. That's what you do. It is how it works. <laughs> so stupid. Um, and then there's like Christians and conservatives should write letters to the editor and like all, all this stuff, like tell your friends in their churches. Like, what the fuck? Fuck you. Um, but then the, the, these last two lines are, are really, really good. I really like these. If the truth about Breck Smith is known to all the voters and he gets elected, it is a genuine sign of our moral slide. If the voters find the truth and Judge Morrissey wins in a landslide, then good triumphs over evil. Like, I have Damn never right. been that excited for a slide in my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just to piss off the tolls of me. I don't give a shit about this judge. I don't care. But I'm so excited to, to take a ride on that moral slide, you know, straight into the, the devil's mouth. Fuck that um, fucking author, whoever that person is. I'm God. pissed. The coward phenomenal. doesn't even put their name on it. Yeah, like, of course not, because they would be. <sighs> Tell us about socialist events and let's get the people out of here. Yeah, okay. Um, we, got, we got some events uh, on Sunday, September 23rd. It will be the grand opening of an info, info shop at Bound for Glory Books in Tulsa from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. And it's being done in participation with the Red Scare Collective. Um, some stuff far out in the future on October 6th. The Solidarity Through Food Kitchen is having a community cleanup and cookout. Um, they're also going to be putting some food up at the, the grand opening of the info shop. Bound for Glory Books is really cool. I like it. And it looks like it's going to be really cool for everybody. So... Uh, let's all go to that if we can. Uh, that's what we got this week. As always, you can check us out at Twitter, uh, at Red Star Over OK. Our subreddit is R Red Star Over Oklahoma. You can listen on SoundCloud and iTunes. Questions, comments, complaints, concerns, you can shoot them over to redstaroverok at gmail.com. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this week. And as always, rate and review on iTunes. Thank you so much. See you later. Bye. Bye. See ya.